That is a great passage of scripture. And um, just as a bit of a pre-warning, I've been very excited about what that passage means for us. And so I feel like I've got a very fulsome talk, so I hope you can hang in there. But I'm hoping that you'll be able to take at least one thing away that challenges you, because I think this is a massively encouraging yet challenging part of Scripture. So let's pray before we come to it. Father God, speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. Help us to see what Jesus says and how we need to respond to each one in light of your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you, most, many of you will be old enough and watched television enough to remember, hopefully this is going to work, this. Run, rabbit, run, rabbit, run, run, run. Don't give the farmer his fun, fun, fun. He'll get by without his rabbit pie. So run, rabbit, run, rabbit, run, run. Run, rabbit, run. You gotta go to the Yarra Valley. You gotta go to Victoria. Because in the Yarra Valley, there's vineyards. And if you go to the vineyards, you can frolic in the vineyards. There's nothing better than prancing and frolicking in the vineyards. You've seen it on the thing. Everyone is running through the grapes, running through the grapes. See, there's life in the vineyard. Nothing like being in the vineyard. Now, I've got a little secret to tell you. Last weekend was a long weekend. Julian and Sarah... Gonzales. Well, Yarra Valley's too far, so they went to Mudgee. And they frolicked in the vineyards. Well, I think, I think, I think Julian frolicked and I think Sarah pranced. <laughs> but they were going through the vineyards and they were, it was so romantic because there's life in the vineyards as they frolicked through them. And that's kind of exactly what our passage is about today. But not life in the vineyard, but actually life in the vine. We're in a new series, given it the title, You and Me and Jesus, which is a pretty basic sort of a title, but it really fits in with our belong theme for the whole year. It's part of belonging, You're finding your place in the family of God, which is you and me, you and, me and Jesus. Judas has gone to betray Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going away to his disciples. They're concerned. But he promises them comfort. He says, I'm going to come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit and you will not be alone. Be comforted. Then Jesus uses a viticultural metaphor. That's a fancy word to say a grape metaphor, a grape-growing metaphor. Now, if you know anything about viticulture, you know that it's incredibly complex. Because you all hear about it, you've got to work out which grape you're growing, you know, pinno this, pinno that. And um, you've got to know if there's limestone, limestone's very good. Whether it's cold, it's got to be a bit cold, but it's got to get hot too. And there's got to be not a bit of rain, but not too much rain. And the side of the hill makes a difference, whether it's getting sun. You've got to prune it at the right time. You've got to harvest it at the right time. You've got to check how ripe the grapes are before you harvest it, how much sugar's in the grape. It's so complex. And this fancy word named terra, is that how you say it? Terra? 
terrior, terrar, I don't know. Where are you growing the grapes? It all depends. So it's very, very complicated, this viticulture. But Jesus uses actually a very simple metaphor. And you don't have to be a grape grower to understand the basic points he's making. And the metaphor, one of the difficulties I think when people start reading this, they, they get too caught up in the metaphor. The metaphor is not everything. If I say Ed Ironside is a live wire, which he is, I'm not talking about where he gets his power from. I'm not talking about necessarily the impact that he makes, what he drives. I'm just saying he's got lots of energy. That's, he's a live wire. When Jesus uses this metaphor, it's not, you're not going to have to put everything in place. But there's just basic points of comparison. And there is a basic point with the metaphor that Jesus uses this morning. And that is this. There is life in the vine and only in the vine. And Jesus is the vine. That's it. I'd like to go through five simple lessons that come out of this metaphor. I'd like to draw them out. And I'd like at the end to try and try to ask, how does that apply to us? How does that apply to you? The first metaphor is pretty simple. Jesus is the vine. We come to the last of the seven I am statements in John's Gospel. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Verse 5, I am the vine, you disciples are the branches. Now, in ancient Israel, this was more than just a metaphor. This was a pre-existing metaphor that everyone kind of got in their culture. It carried a huge amount of weight. In the Old Testament, the people of God... Israel is frequently referred to as a vineyard or vines. They had statues of vineyards or not statues, you know, when it's a thing, pictures of vineyards in stone and vines. And so if we go to Isaiah chapter 5, here we are, Jesus is the vine. If we go to Isaiah chapter 5, This is the Lord, I will sing a song for the one I love, a song about his vineyard, says Isaiah. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, he cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. He looked for a crop of good grapes. This is Israel, but it yielded only bad fruit. Go to verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah. And the vines are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And there you have the constant theme. This image is picked up in many other places in the Old Testament. It's always got this constant theme. Israel was good. God would bless Israel, but the fruit Israel produced, the people of God produced, was bad fruit. And so they faced judgment because you don't want the bad fruit and bad vines. When you go to Psalm 80, we find this vine metaphor actually combined with this idea of a saviour, the son of man who will come. So Psalm 80 
You transplanted a vine from Egypt. Here come the children of Israel out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted your vine. You cleared the ground for it. And, you took, and it took root and it filled the land. Wonderful, wonderful. It's good. The mountains were covered in its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. Good, 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 good. But then sin and then judgment. The nations came in. And so the psalmist says, Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. Have you forgotten this vine? The root your right hand has planted? The sun you've raised up for yourself? Have you forgotten your people, God? Because of our sin? Let your hand, listen to this, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the Messiah. Let your hand rest on the Son of Man whom you raise up for yourself, that we will not turn away from you, revive us, and we will call on your name. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true Israel. I am the Son of Man come to save and revive. Restoration is in me. The people of God are in me. I am the true Israel and those who follow me are God's people, the saved remnant who will be revived. And there is no other. I am the promised son of man. I am Messiah. I am the one who binds the people together. I am their king and life is in the vine and I am the true vine. Jesus is the vine. And if Jesus is the vine, then God's people are found in him. So the second thing to draw out of this metaphor is the absolute necessity of vital union with the vine. You mu the vine must be bound as one. Verse 1. Oh, verse 4, sorry. Remain in me, says Jesus to his disciples, as I remain in you. One, union. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, says Jesus, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You hear that union language. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, if there's not that vital union, union, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Jesus is the vine. We who follow him are the branches. There will be no growth. There will be no fruitfulness. There will be no life unless we remain in the vine. We must meet, to use the language of the New Testament, we must be found to be in Christ. Now, how do you become in Christ? Well, the Bible tells us simply by faith, just by believing in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. If you go to the start of John's Gospel, we're told that Jesus is the Word of God, the revelation of God. Jesus is light from God. Jesus is life, we're told. And then we get to John chapter 1, verse 14. 
where we read verse 12. To all those who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Part of the Israel of God. Part of the vine. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God through faith in Jesus. There's John's gospel. The big application. And for them, Jesus promises them the Holy Spirit. In chapter 14 of John's gospel, he speaks to his disciples and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going away, but I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you on that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. There needs to be this vital union that we have the life of God in us in Christ by his Spirit. And that will only happen if you remain in the vine. You cannot separate yourself from the vine. In other words, you must continue in faith. One of the other big metaphors in the Bible for the church in Christ is that the church, the people of God, are the body of Christ. That Christ is the head and we are the body. Now, if you are in Christ, then you are part of the body. And the church is the body of Christ. His people are his body. So this has powerful implications. Because you need to remain in the body. You need to remain in the vine. And therefore, you're never alone. You're not to be alone as a Christian. It's you and me and Jesus. And that is expressed in what we call church, where those who are in the vine gather to express their unity in community. Church matters. It's an expression of being part of the vine. That I am in Christ because I'm in the body. I'm in the vine. There's a vital union. And so we find our place in the family of God and we have a sense of belonging to pick up our church theme this year. There is one vine with many branches. There's all these branches, but there's one vine and Christ is the center. Christ binds it together. So here is the challenge for you. Are you in Christ? Do you believe? Do you trust Jesus? Is he your Lord? Because if you don't, you are not part of the vine, the people of God. And to extend that challenge, if you are in that vine, are you expressing that as part of the vine? Are you in community with others in the vine? If you are not, you do not belong. And I do not think you can claim to have a place in the family of God, the people of God. Where to be, there's to be a vital union between the branches and the vine. Third point, which is really just a natural consequence of this. The branches are utterly dependent on the vine. If there is no union with the vine, then there will be no fruit. There will be just death. Verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You're utterly dependent. It must remain in the vine. 
Neither can you bear fruit unless, says Jesus, you remain in me by faith. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Imagine Julian and Sarah, they had a great weekend. They're going back in the October long weekend, I believe, to Mudgee. And they're frolicking again because they enjoyed their frolicking so much. They're frolicking amongst the vines. And it's October. And there's one of these little branches coming out and it's got those teeny, teeny little grapes, you know, the teeny little ones about this big with lots of things. And Julian says, Sarah says, Julian! Look at that branch. Look at all the grapes on it. Oh, I wish we could take that home and plant it. And I wish it would grow at home. And then we could have grapes in January. Julian pulls out his pocket knife because he cares. Looks around. Snips off the branch. Stuffs it down his shirt and walks out of the vineyard. Nobody sees. They get in their car. They drive back to Sydney. They've got their little grape branch. They walk out the back. They're so excited. They put it in the ground. We're going to have grapes in summer. One week later, Archie's in the backyard, sees a dead, withering grape branch and throws it in the green bin. Julian and Sarah, what were you thinking? Like, pretty obvious, really. Duh. The branch is totally dependent on the vine. Apart from the vine, the branch is completely useless. You just throw it away because the life is in the vine. Jesus is emphatic. I didn't read that one. Whoops, there's the picture. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's emphatic, says Jesus. Now really, I say, well, you can play tennis apart from Jesus. I've tried a few times. Maybe that's why I'm bad. <laughs> you can teach students without Jesus. You can, you, know, you can be a pastor without Jesus. You can provide counselling to people without Jesus. Who says you need Jesus? But the thing is, there will be no spiritual fruit without Jesus. No lasting fruit. We have a church vision. We've sort of categorised our church vision into three categories. We want to be healthy, we want to be fruitful, and we want to have a sense that there is space to grow. And so we have a theme every year about church health. We've encouraged one another to be humble, to walk humbly with our God, to be mission-minded, that we're exiles who are fit for mission, to hear and to believe and to obey, and that we belong and have our sense of a place in the family of God. But, you know, we will only have those healthy things as real if we abide in Jesus, if we keep believing and obeying. We, we say we want to be fruitful, so we've got the desire to send teams, send people out from our church to new kingdom initiatives. 
We want to increase our giving to missions partners. We want to care for the poor and vulnerable like the work we're doing with Baptist Care and Delivery. And these, both of these came straight out of that. We want to care for the poor and vulnerable in Nepal. We want to be better at sharing our faith naturally, simply. Apart from me, says Jesus, you can do nothing. Even that, even that let me tell you, that $600 you're about to give to Baptist World Aid, it's useless without Jesus. You hear Wun Chu talking about the darkness she sees. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Your personal life, all those messy relationships. Whoa! I'm, people tell me I'm proud. I've been battling lust. I've got to control my tongue. I say things that just gets me in trouble. I don't mean to, but just come out and then I say it and then I'm in big trouble and then I back. I lose my temper. I'm selfish. My wife tells me I'm selfish. I think I might be. So what am I going to do? I will resolve to conquer these things. I will get a self-help book. I will see a counsellor. I'm going to join a class on anger management. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You've just got to try changing serious, deep stuff in your life. It's hard. Apart from me, says Jesus, you can do nothing. But the converse is also powerfully true. Verse 7. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, if you're obedient, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Those who abide will pray and those who pray abide. The two are so linked. And those who pray and abide discover power because God works. There's the place to start change. Abiding, trusting Jesus, praying. And if you're finding in your life a lack of prayerfulness, that is really just a measure of your Apart from me. And not much is happening. Because there's no life. Because life is in the vine. And we are totally dependent on the Lord Jesus. And we're called to live by faith. So how are you going? How are we going as a church? We're trying in our own strength. You're trying to conquer things by your own strength. Confident that you have the capacity. If only all this other stuff would fix itself up, then I can do this. That we can achieve our church visions because we're so good at strategizing and planning and we're so competent and clever. And yet we feel so weak. Because we're trying to save ourselves. Maybe you're trying to be right with God by saving yourself based upon your own merit, your own righteousness. And if you are, you are miserable or you are totally deceived. 
stop doing these things. They do not work. They actually lead to death. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Trust me. Lean into me. And watch what I can do. Lesson number four. Those who do abide in the vine, well, for them, there's this this natural expectation that they will bear fruit. Verse 1, 2. He cuts off every branch in me, says Jesus, that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it will be even more fruitful. So I wasn't going to read that one yet. Leave that one. Why do farmers in Maji? Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Why do farmers in Maji plant vines, grapes? It's because they want to provide a holiday place for Julian and Sarah to go and frolic. It's because it's great for Instagram, particularly in summer. No, they do not do it for that reason. They plant vines in Maji to grow grapes, mostly to make wine why does God the gardener see us as part of his vine what does he expect of his people now to the verses I was going to read he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes it so it will be even more fruitful God's expecting fruit Remain in me, says Jesus, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I am you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then right at the end, verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, all this abiding, that you bear much fruit. And showing yourself to be my disciples. Which really does raise a question well, what is fruit? What is this fruit that God expects? Is it like seeing lots of people come to Jesus being saved? Is it souls saved? Is it like that we give a lot of money to Nepal through Baptist World Aid? Is it that we give up our train seat to? Somebody is that is that the sort of fruit? Well, let's go back to Isaiah and the vineyard. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines He delighted in. He looked for justice. There's the fruit, but found bloodshed. That's awful. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Justice and righteousness. John. Jesus goes on to expound the fruit more in verses 9 to 17, which we'll look at next week. But I will want to say this. Just reflect on this. The blessing of fruit is not the fruit. The blessings of good grapes is delicious, sweet food and juice and wine and seed for more grapes. That's the blessings of the fruit. That's the outworking of the fruit. That is not the fruit. Jesus is speaking about not outward qualities, outward results, but inward qualities. The fruit is Christ's life 
produced in the branches of the vine. It's when the life of Christ, the character of Christ, throws through and is revealed in the branches. Because the life comes through the vine. So for a, a church, the fruit of a the fruit in a church is not a bigger church. It's not a more spectacular church. It's not having the um that that screen working every single Sunday. The life of Christ is when the church behaves as the body of Christ. It's so beautifully captured in Paul's prayer to the Colossians. Here's the fruit. Paul prays for the church in Colossians. He says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. There's a prayer for fruitfulness in the church. There's a prayer worth praying over those you love or over yourself every day. A prayer for fruit. If you get that right, then the sweet, sweet blessings will flow. And God the gardener is all about working fruit in his people. That's what he desires. Jesus came to save that we might bear fruit that brings glory to his Father. An abundant vineyard full of fruit. Glory to my Father, the gardener. And so I challenge you again, where is the fruit in your life? How is the blessing flowing? Or is the fruit gnarled and dry and sharp and harsh? Is it bitter and full of self? Be assured of this, if you abide, God will be at work in love to see much fruit and more fruit and more fruit again. Which brings us to the fifth point, which is the hard, hard word. God is a gardener. Gardeners who garden for fruit prune. They all do. There's two types of pruning. The first is where you remove dead wood, unproductive wood that's just sapping life. I am the true vine and the father is the gar- and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Not helping the vine, taking, making unclean, gone. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If, there is, if you're not abiding, if there's no fruit, the Father will cleanse the vine by removing you because you're unproductive you see there's no life there there's no fruit then you're no good for the father's purposes the father will cleanse by removing unproductive fruit so the vine is clean now it's very different if you're abiding in the vine 
Because if you're abiding in the vine and you're listening and obeying Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I've already cleansed you. But for them, guess what? There's the second type of pruning. There's the pruning of a very different sort, pruning for productivity. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Here's the reality. Julian and Sarah went to Mudgee last week and they frolicked in the vines, which is a little bit of a falsehood. They frolicked amongst the stumps because it's winter. And that's what the vineyards in Mudgee look like at the moment. Julian's frolicking along, pushes Sarah, she says, ouch, because there's no leaves, it's just sticks and stumps. Why would you do that? That is so un-Instagram worthy. Every year they do that. They take these beautiful vines. They're just starting to turn yellow and orange and they chop them to pieces. Well, you know why they do it. Basic horticulture. Because the energy and the life of the vine... They want it focused so that the new life that is produced promotes fruit and not foliage or deadwood. And God is a gardener and he prunes the people he loves so they will produce more fruit. And so it is not related to your godliness if you get pruned. In fact, you may, in fact, it may be that the more like Christ you are, the more you will be pruned. And it's not like, oh, I've got to the end destination because every year you're getting pruned. It's not like I've finally made it. I don't think I'm going to be pruned anymore. God's got to be happy now. Now, maybe if you've grown in godliness, more pruning, more pruning, more pruning. And the knife hurts. God does that to the people he loves the most. Hebrews chapter 12. Endured hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not, are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters. You're outside of the vine. You expect discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. To the uninitiated eye, it looks cruel. How could you do that to the vineyard? It looks wasteful. That was a beautiful branch. And it hurts. The knife brings pain. But to the experienced eye, well, they know this is the best root 
for growing rich and healthy, productive fruit that brings honor and glory to the garden, gardener, to the viticulturalist. And from the fruit comes the blessing. So God cuts us back. And here's another truth. When he's cutting back and you're shouting, where is God? Where is God? Where is God? His hands is actually as close as it's ever been. And when he cuts us back, and we feel like we've got nothing else, you know what we've got left? The vine. Jesus. And so when he cuts us back, it just gives so much more opportunity because there's so little else for Jesus to shine through and for the fruit to be produced because he's cut us right back to Jesus. That's all I've got left. I don't know if your life feels like that at the moment, that picture. For some of you it does. I do not know why, because I am not the vine dresser. But I do know from this scripture that the Father knows why, and he is seeking fruit from your life in love that the love and power of Christ may flow through you. And if that is where you are at, if that's what your life looks like, here is the truth, here is the power. Keep trusting Jesus. Abide in the vine. If you are cut back, if it's hurting, keep Trusting Jesus. There is the secret. Are you sailing or sinking? Is it fair weather or storm? Are you lost in dark despair this morning? Putting on a smile and wearing your nice clothes for everyone. I know it sounds too simplistic, but there is only one answer. Wherever your life is, keep Trusting Jesus. And maybe if you haven't found him, trust him today. Because there is life in the vine and only in the vine. And Jesus is the vine. It's you and me and Jesus belonging together. We need each other. We need Jesus who imparts his life to us and has, based upon the testimony of so many, many people and probably many of you, who goes with us and says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and leads us and guides us and stays with us even through the darkest valley, the darkest night. Keep trusting Jesus wherever you are in life. Keep trusting Jesus Holding fast in faith, I will keep trusting Jesus. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Lord, I keep trusting you. And the fruit will grow. And people will be blessed. And God will be glorified. Let's pray. Father God, it's such a simple metaphor. 
Lord, we don't like being pruned. But we know you love us. We know that fruit's good to help us to keep abiding in the vine. In good times and bad, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.